You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your ticket out of the Twilight Zone here at the conservative conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, on this fine Thursday, very busy Thursday, July 18th, where we got three articles out today just from me at Conservative Review. Go to conservativereview.com. Make sure to check out all of my work there as well as my colleagues, Nate Madden. We've got some other stuff there as well. I don't even know where to begin other than to say these are the times that try men's souls. These are the leverage points. These are the focal points. These are the crossroads where we stand today. We often look back. Oh, how is it that we had control for you know two years and did nothing? Well, you slept through all of the important issues while we here did not sleep through them. At a time when we need leaders, we often have followers. At a time when we need warriors, we often have Teletubbies. I really hope that's going to change. But what's happening in these days with the budget bill coming up, the final important one mixed with the debt ceiling of the president's First term might be his only term if he keeps this up. And the August recess, which ties together his leverage to cancel the August recess and call for an American August, which I want to speak about either later today or tomorrow. This is when we need all hands on deck. Anyone who calls themselves a conservative, who has any degree of influence on the inside, outside, this is when you need to focus on what matters. It's funny how everyone likes talking about things in the abstract. You know, the Democrats are socialists. You know, um, they might implement socialism. And I'm like, dude, do you know the Republicans right now are agreeing to everything Pelosi wants on the budget, which encompasses everything that's important, and is spending 18% more than under Obama, and that number is going to explode if they get this deal through? I don't know. In my book, that's kind of socialism. Yeah, I know this game. It could always get worse business. And they're convincing the president to go along with it. Now, right now, as we speak here, it's a little bit later than usual. Thursday afternoon, we're going to have an ICE agent on the show a little bit later. So that's why I wanted to record later today to accommodate his schedule on the West Coast. We're going to have Brian Wilcox back, the ICE director in Seattle. So we're recording a little later. But as we stand today... This is when the president is like 50-50. McConnell and every Senate Republican is pushing him to promote this sellout, which will not just co-sign Trump's presidency to the ultimate debt presidency, but end his leverage on the border as well, and really every other issue, like Planned Parenthood funding. But the key point here... The key point is that there's people in the administration, starting with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, who are begging him to go along with this. There's a political Politico headline today that says it all. Senate Republicans pray that Trump will go that Trump will take budget deal. They're, Senate Republicans pray Trump will take budget deal. Well, I'm here to tell you that we as conservatives and my colleagues in this business, they should not only pray, but demand that Trump not take this budget deal and that Trump right away say, we are going to veto this and this is a non-starter with me. But I want to come back to that in a minute. Yesterday, we talked about the need to get out the truth of what is going on in the country. So we're not talking about the needs of illegal aliens, and instead we're talking about what illegal aliens are doing in this country to harm us. And the good news is that the story yesterday 
19 MS-13 members that were Central American uh, kids that recently came in. Guess what? The president mentioned that at his rally last night. To me, that's a bigger deal than this whole uh, send her back business. And that's the thing. So everyone's everyone's sitting and debating that. And meanwhile, the joke is the president just disavowed it. And meanwhile, dude, it's like, look, I, I get riveted by that too. I can't stand her. She's a terrible human being. And I'm, you know, I, I get a thrill that he's doubling down on that. But, you know, to some extent, it's kind of like, dude, you're not even sending back illegal aliens. So, um, come on. Let's get with the program. Let's let's get with the strategy. I'm I'm crafting a strategy for an American August. Trump's messaging and what he should call in Congress to do, and how he should leverage it. But um, I told you that every day there are stories that happen of aliens killing Americans, assaulting, sexually assaulting minors, and we never hear about it. And I only get a fraction of them. So a lot of you have been very helpful sending me these stories. And um, there's another story I just got out. And the last I checked, Drudge doesn't have it up. Drudge has at the top my story on budget blowout. That's that's our story here. I give him a lot of credit for covering that. But I was hoping he would pick up this story as well. A twice-deported Guatemalan kills a mother and two daughters. So here you have a mother permanently separated in the grave from two mothers, from from two daughters, I mean, and it's not news. Not a single Republican in Congress is going to talk about it. No one even at DHS is going to talk about it. And the goal is to at least get the president to talk about it. I couldn't even watch the hearing today with McAleenan. Maybe some of you have watched. I just, I had no appetite for it. But I'm sure, as all the other hearings, it's all about our obligations to invaders and not their obligations as congressmen to the American people. There are so many important points in this story. This is in Des Moines, Iowa, downtown Des Moines. And yes, you know, even in the Midwest now, thanks to the agricultural interests, they're having the problems that I-95 East Coast or California cities have had. But this guy, Marvin Oswaldo Escobar Oriana, 31, who gave a false name to the police, he was charged with the murder on Wednesday. This was a Tuesday night murder, just two nights ago, one night ago, of three people. Rosa Beth Flores Rodriguez, Gresa Daniela Alvarado Flores, 11, and Ever Jose Mejia Flores, 5. Now, to me, it's very likely that they themselves are immigrants, if not illegal immigrants, because I saw in one report, I mean, the police say they're, they're not clear about the motive, but that they were actually tenants renting a duplex from where this illegal murderer and his family, or alleged murderer and his family, are living. So between the names and that fact, you know, give me reason to believe they're illegal. And I, I just want to note that there's an important point with that. What people don't realize is nobody is suggesting that in order to enforce our laws that we turn over every rock and literally actively kick in every door to find an illegal. But what we're merely saying is when the law say you shall not shield from detection – at a minimum, that would mean that at least anyone who interacts with the government, and particularly law enforcement, that is here illegally, we should easily be able to vet that out. There's a lot of you know talk about asking the citizenship question on the census, and that is very important. But do you know what is more important? Asking the citizenship question when someone is arrested or detained by police. They ask all sorts of things, but this is the most important thing. What country are you a citizen of? The reason is, again, because if you're an American, then you got to go through the justice system. 
Most low-level things, you're not going to serve any time. Even high-level things, you'll barely serve time. And most criminals are recidivists, and we're going to have to keep dealing with you. And it's a big problem. But if you are an, an illegal, certainly if it's drug trafficking and, and um, assault, but if you're pulled over for reckless driving, DUI, driving without a license, or really anything, you're met by a police officer that he has a right to detain you and question you, you know, a speeding ticket even, what country are you a citizen of? And immediately, they should be able to ring up right away on the database, are you a citizen? And your status. Certainly anyone who was previously deported and is therefore certainly in DHS's system, boom, right away would come up. And that guy's turned over to ICE, and everything he does, every harm he would do in this country is avoided. Why am I giving you this preface? Because in this case, this guy, Escobar Oriana, was previously deported in 2010 and 2011. And he came back. Now, again, the only reason they come back is because we don't follow the laws and we don't prevent them from working. We don't prevent them from getting ID. Um, you know, we don't clamp down on ID fraud. We have all these magnets. He had a family here. I don't know how much, but evidently he was married and probably had kids. We have K through 12 education. We have anchor babies. If he didn't have any of that, they, they, they wouldn't come back. And then so once you would deport them, you would avoid all the other crime. But in this case, now, even though you do have problems that we don't secure the border and they come back, this guy was in a state courthouse paying traffic fines, $1,400 worth. According to Des Moines Register, I I couldn't get a hold of the court records. You have to pay for it. Um, And I don't have a PACER account, but I'm just going off of them. He was there. He murdered three people, a mother and two daughters, Tuesday night. Monday night, he, he was able to pass through a court. That means he was in court proceedings. And, and these weren't just run-of-the-mill tickets. It's $1,400 worth. There was a May traffic incident where he was cited with reckless driving and driving without a license or proof of insurance. This was in May. How is it that you have a guy... And he gave a false Elias the whole time. Instead of Escobar Oriana, he gave Escobar um, or Esquivel Lopez. Right away, they should check with ICE. Right away. He could have gotten out of the country. Now again, this is another important, because our Border Patrol has been abolished as NGOs of the other people and um, serve them, and therefore the illegals get in all their people. And this is what Republicans refuse to hold hearings on. How many of these guys are getting that through as a result of Border Patrol being shut down? It's not a zero-sum game, baby. But at least he would have been apprehended right away, and this murder he would not have committed. 100% avoidable. I mean, come on, driving without a license? And the guy tells you his name is Esquivel Lopez? And I mean, the law mandates it. Enforce existing laws. We need an April, uh, uh, an American August, where Trump calls Congress back into session and demands they act. And again, it's often other illegal immigrants are the most common victims. That's the joke of this whole thing. That's the joke of this whole thing. They kill a lot of Americans too, but I'm just saying, and I don't know if these people are illegal. I'm just saying usually just neighborhood-wise and proximity, that's kind of where they're going to be. And um, all these people are like, I want to protect the immigrant community. That, that That's the sick irony. Anyone who's approached by police lawfully for anything, any lawful stop, I mean, come on, the guy's like, I'm driving without a license as a dead giveaway. And now these three people are dead. But, that, that won't be a story. No hearings on that. But I want you to understand the results. See, most people are recidivists. If you're a bad dude that you sexually assault, you murder, you assault, you do things, you're going to be drunk driving, you're going to be doing drugs. It, it's common. 
And there's multiple opportunities where you cycle in and out of the system. Nobody who is an illegal immigrant by definition should ever cycle in and out of the criminal justice system. They should only be in and never out, not, meaning not out on the streets. They should just either prosecute them and then give them over to the ICE after they serve their time, or if you're not, then give them over to ICE right away. It's that simple. I know we have liberals who listen to this show. It is indefensible. It's not, it's not a right or left issue. There is no possible argument you could give against that. In that vein, the Epoch Times has a Charlotte Cutperson, um, terrific reporter. She um, has an article. I give her credit for the article, and I also give credit to the person she cites. This guy, James Johnson, a private citizen and retired electrician, God bless him, in North Carolina, he's trying to quantify what I'm struggling with. Is that you and I know that every day there are so many egregious crimes committed by illegals that are avoidable and we don't document them. And so many of them are recidivists that are cycling in and out that all these crimes are avoidable because they could have been removed. In North Carolina, I'm reading from the article here, illegal immigration immigrants drives child sex crime charges in North Carolina. In North Carolina, during the past 18 months, more than 331 illegal aliens have been charged with 1,172 child rapes and child sexual assaults. That number is about 30% of the complete statewide data estimates, estimates James Johnson, who tracks the data on his website, NC Fire. It's in North Carolina, Fire, ncfire.info. Check it out, ncfire.info. Johnson has tracked rapes and sexual assaults on children by illegal aliens ever since 2013 using original police reports and calling arresting agencies to verify immigration status. That's a very tedious um, thing, by the way, and, and I'm sure there's a lot he's missing. His data doesn't cover every month, but for the 54 months he has recorded, an average of 34 illegal aliens per month were charged with 151 counts of raping or sexually assaulting a child in North Carolina. But here's the kicker. Johnson says he is only able to gather data for 30 of the state's 100 counties, which means it's possible the statewide count is more than 113 illegal aliens charged with around 503 child sexual crimes per month. Think about that. Just in 30 of the 100 North Carolina counties in just 18 months, almost 2,000 child rapes, charged charges of child rapes by illegal aliens. And those are such recidivists. And, and often they're just really bad people doing all sorts of things that we could have gotten them before. Shouldn't we ask the citizenship question? Anyone detained by a police officer? Reasonable suspicion. This is the thing. Even with Americans that have full constitutional rights, everything works on reasonable suspicion, probable cause. There's no reason when, when illegals that don't have a right to be here to simply just ask. That's it. It's unbelievable that we don't do this. It's a mixture of the courts. It's a mixture of sanctuaries. Lack of enforcement at the federal level. It's unbelievable. It's a very important story, and this is what I want to do on so many other things. This is just 30 counties in 18 months, one category of offense that's probably in itself very incomplete because so many times it's hard to get the history, the immigration history, so that means those are just the ones he confirmed. God bless him for doing it. Why is... Why is James Johnson doing this. Why is DHS not putting this out? Why are they not every month they should have data like this? I, I don't get it. Again, it wouldn't. They even they wouldn't have the full universe because they miss a lot of people. But at least the ones you get, you see on the fingerprint at NCIC and everything. You see, you match it against the fingerprints. How many illegals have you come into your orbit? Each thing. How many detainers issued? Every month, geographical distribution per offense. I don't understand why that data is not out there. It would literally change the landscape of, of, of the political debate. But there's nothing there. 
But then there's the other half of this. You might say, well, Daniel, you're right how avoidable it is. You just get rid of them, but it's not so avoid. It's not so simple because they do come back. And that's where you have the synergy of border and interior enforcement. Think about it. With eight agents patrolling 60 miles at any given time, still they caught 19,000 people like this guy who were previously deported with previous convictions, not just arrests, convictions in America, not to mention anywhere else in the world. That's only a fraction of the universe of bad people coming here. And that's what they caught. But we know strategically most aren't caught because they're, they're so few agents and they strategically cross them, the people without the criminal records mainly in front of them so they can get the other ones in when they know they won't catch them. What is so hard to stand before the American people and say, look, the border agents either patrol or they serve as a private NGO for Central America. If we do the latter, then that means these people, well, they've de- ICE has deported 1.8 billion, a million um, criminal aliens over the last decade or so. 1.8 million. Now, it's a little less than that. It's, it's 1.8 million deportations, a lot of them were multiples, they kept coming back, so it's not unique people, but you get the point. 1.8 million. All those people have a free lane, because those are the people that tried to put down roots and get a family and jobs here and you know do their criminality or whatever, so they have the, they're the most prone to want to come back. That's what you don't see. Meaning... Even if there was somewhat legitimacy to asylum claims, which certainly you can't say all of a sudden one year we have a million claims when nothing geopolitically has changed in these countries over previous years. It's all the courts. It's all DHS policy. It's all the pull, not the push. Don't buy the lies about that. But even if there was somewhat legitimacy to it, if I tell you we could either care for the world and then therefore that enables thousands of sex offenders and murderers to come in, drug traffickers, whatever, or we could get a lot more of them if we have them patrol and not service the world. I mean, that is why we have a federal government. Otherwise, shut down. We have state governments for internal affairs. Protecting from external threats is why we have a federal government. I just don't get it. But we have all these Teletubbies just focusing on stupidity so this stuff doesn't get out enough. Ilan Omar. Well, you're bringing Ilan Omars to the country every day. Let's focus on what matters at the time that it matters when we have the leverage to affect its outcome. And that's what this budget bill. The president needs to be flooded. The White House needs to be flooded with calls. Don't sign the bill. Just do a clean CR and reserve your leverage so the caps could automatically expire at any time and then the Democrats need that from you. Don't give it away for free now. I'll be on Mark Levin later tonight um, at 8.30 Eastern, if you get this before, to uh, discuss that. So there's tons of information to give over on immigration on budget, on spending. We're going to link to our three articles out today. I have a third one out, giving the president advice how to get out in front of this bogus asylum court case in San Francisco against his asylum rule. I doubt they'll take my advice, but I got to offer it. That's all I could do. If we had five, ten more shows like this and writers like this, I mean, you know... Maybe we'd be able to do something, but we got to build the movement um, to, to, to slowly change this and change everything here. So much going on. So, so much going on. So um, there's that. But um, I want to get to our guest. Now, we've talked a lot about walking in the shoes of a border agent, the life of a border agent, what he is confronted with, which is really an unimaginable unimaginable conf- conflicting purview of law on the one hand and 
uh, what I call media law and virtue signaling law, which is against the law on the other hand, they have to balance it. They have so much danger that they're confronted with and they're not appreciated. Today, I wanted to talk with an ICE agent. Um, the biggest story this week, and I know I keep saying that there's a lot of big stories that aren't being reported, but really the biggest story that's remarkable was this t- domestic terror attack on an ICE facility in Tacoma, Washington. And at a time when everyone is talking about inflammatory rhetoric, everyone's so divided, and, oh, you got to watch out what you say, what it does, and you have numerous members of Congress and pretty much an entire political movement, not just saying that they vigorously disagree, but saying that ICE and border agents are like Nazis running concentration camps and that we're on the cusp of Hitler in the 1930s in Germany, that that is very serious um, because there's a lot of crazies around who do a lot of crazy things. But if you justify a certain sense of morality in that way, that is going to have an effect. And um, we had this case where Willem Van Spronsen, an Antifa member, there's a lot of Antifa in the Northwest of this country, uh, tried to set a propane tank on fire, showed up at this uh, detention facility in Tacoma, and he showed up with a rifle, set a car on fire, tried to set a propane tank on fire, could have blown up the joint and killed everyone in it, illegal immigrants, uh, ICE officers, any workers there. Luckily, he was killed before he was able to do that. And they face a graver danger than I think we sense. And that's what I wanted to get um, some information on today. So Brian Wilcox is the acting director of... ICE's field office in Seattle, responsible for critical areas in Oregon and Washington. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to get an update on what's going on there, because I promised you we would cover this issue. So with no further ado, Brian, welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. Uh, Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You were so candid with our audience last time, even though you're an active duty agent, and you know you got to be careful, and we all appreciate that. But um, when I initially heard that there was talk of initially scuttling this operation to return a bunch of Central American families who relatively recently came to the country and were ordered deported, and then they scuttled the mission initially because they said the operational details were leaked and you put agents in danger. And in my mind, I kind of thought, well, you know, it's, it sounds funny. This is not really Afghanistan here. I mean, what, what are we talking about? What's the big deal? And then we had Saturday. And I was like, oh, oh, you mean that danger, Antifa, domestic terrorism. Could you just talk a little bit about what happened in Tacoma and why this might be a broader problem than people think? Uh, well, I, you know, what, what happened in Tacoma was the act of, you know, one uh, particular individual, but uh, he, you know, uh, it, it's already been reported that uh, he was involved in social media and had connections to a variety of, uh, uh, you know, groups here in the Seattle area uh, that are, are, are proponents for, for anarchy and, and are, you know, uh, decidedly anti-immigration. And so I think uh, a lot of the, the you know, political uh, rhetoric uh, out there that, um, you know, uh, is, is portraying the uh, people of ICE, which is a government law enforcement agency. My, you know, myself and my agents are are just doing our jobs. But the uh, the rhetoric that is uh, uh, going out uh, to the, uh, the the public that uh, that vilifies us and, and characterizes us as um Nazis and in our detention centers uh, are uh, being compared to concentration camps. That sort of inflammatory uh, language is uh, it encourages uh, these sort of uh, people that are operating on the fringe of uh, society. And this is just an example of that encouragement emboldening uh, one individual to take uh, independent action on his own. So usually when we have these shootings of, you know, just demented people for whatever reason, uh, most of the time it is one guy, um, whether it's a school shooting or elsewhere. But in this case, there appears to be a whole Antifa network in the area. 
there's even people online praising it left and right. And when I say online, I mean that everything is online. You could find anything. But I mean people on Twitter with a blue check mark next to their name, and they are not, you know, flagged through her for any reason. And my question is, and I know you can't speak about an ongoing investigation, but I'm assuming HSI and others are investigating any any further threats. Um, yeah, absolutely. The uh, Tacoma Police Department and, and uh, a number of different federal agencies are all uh, in, investigating uh, this, uh, you know, this event and um, the, the threats and uh, social, uh, you know, the, the, the media uh, posts that have put in, been put out there in, in the response to uh, to this guy's action. Um, a lot of people saw in Portland a couple weeks ago, and really several times, these wild Antifa protests that get extremely violent. And the first question that comes to mind is, where is local law enforcement? When you see in your area of operation a lot of these protests against um, against ICE, uh, do you have the full cooperation of local law enforcement? The uh, the cooperation, no. Uh, to be frank with you, it it, uh, it depends on where uh, where we are. Uh, we definitely are, are not getting uh, cooperation uh, locally in uh, in in Portland. Uh, but I can't say that uh, that's the case elsewhere. Uh, in in here in the Tacoma, where the Northwest Detention Center was, um, you know, Tacoma Police Department. Uh, immediately responded to this guy's threat, and uh, they did an outstanding job. They they really, uh, you know, they handled the situation uh, extremely well, and um, provided for the safety of everybody. And so, certainly with the uh, the city of Tacoma, we we you know they uh, they support us and 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 do their jobs, and and uh, I believe that. Uh, the city of Portland in particular is an outlier in that respect. So so just to be clear about Portland, again, we, we know there are sanctuary cities where they don't cooperate to share information, turn over, notify even the most dangerous criminal aliens. But I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about violent um, protests that endanger the lives of the agents themselves. So you're saying in Portland, you can't necessarily count on local law enforcement to maintain order. Right. And let me be clear. I, you know, I'm not trying to, and I'm not disparaging the law enforcement officers themselves, uh, yes. uh, the officers and their managers and all of that. Uh, they're operating uh, under the constraints of uh, elected officials. I, I, absolutely. I, I've, I've seldom met law enforcement of any stripe that um, e- even ones that might personally have different immigration views, but they're all for enforcing the current laws and certainly wouldn't uh, stand down in the face of violence. So are your agents having problems now just in general? I'm seeing a lot of these protests in front of offices where they come out, they block the roads. Is that in your area of operation? Um, well, we, we, we have had that in the past. Uh, famously, last year, we had uh, uh, protests um in, in front of the Northwest Detention Center that uh, were obstructive of our of our operations. Um, but that was a relatively uh, temporary situation that uh, that was resolved uh, when their obstructionist became, you know, uh, a safety threat to to, you know, uh, my folks and and uh, everyone else in, involved. And since that time, uh, we we have not seen that here in uh, the state of Washington, uh, we had really significant uh, protests in front of the Portland office uh, uh, last year as, as well. And um, those, uh, we, we still get them. They're still out there protesting, but uh, they're, they're not uh, as uh, significant as they have been in the past. And, and people are largely complying uh, with law enforcement's uh, restrictions on where they can protest and to the degree that they can uh, interfere, but they're they're still certainly going on. And, and every time they occur, there's an element in the crowd uh, that is looking for an opportunity uh, to to get away with you know some sort of uh, uh, aggressive and illegal action. Sure, that that certainly sounds very volatile. Uh, so, do you feel that? your agents right now in your area, Washington, Oregon, have the requisite resources to fulfill your priority missions despite, you know, the threat of violence and um, some of the interference? 
Well, we can do our job, and and but not to the degree that uh, we would like to. Certainly, the 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 tone um, and the lack of cooperation in these sanctuary states and cities uh, have. Um, created uh, a lot of difficulty for my officers in in uh, in doing their in doing their jobs and their people are harder to find and and, and of course uh, they're they're being coached by NGOs and and other uh, groups NGOs being non-governmental organizations uh, and, and other groups that are in fact uh, you know funded and, and supported by uh, the local governments, uh, they're, they're out there uh, uh, distributing flyers and information like that uh, to the public that uh, really tries to, to um, educate illegal aliens uh, specifically in um, what they can do to avoid uh, being uh, encountered or arrested by ICE. And, and that, of course, always makes our, our job uh, more difficult. So, I mean, I don't know if this is out of your hands and how involved you are. I'm curious if you could tell us if you work with HSI or if this is also FBI to get involved. Um, you know, obviously, your idea, your, your purview is to remove um, illegal aliens. But when you have Americans and especially uh, elected officials, you, you, you're describing activity that's covered under 8 U.S.C. 1324 that you know it is a felony to induce encourage shield from detection um transport illegal immig- immigrants to attempt to do so or to engage in conspiracy to do so is there any effort to target some of that lawlessness um from ice's end or is that more doj um and i can't really speak to targeting that uh from an investigative perspective uh, that would uh, that would be HSI's mm-hmm. uh, purview, in and perhaps in conju- con, uh, conjunction with other uh, law enforcement agencies. Certainly, um, my officers, if if they encounter uh, interference that that rises to that level in their their day to day responsibilities, then we can certainly uh, take action. Uh, for instance, if we're in the uh, process of arresting a, an individual and and people, regardless of whether they're U.S. citizens or what their their status is, if they actively physical interfere with my officers in the performance of their duty, uh, then we can certainly arrest them and and, and charge them uh, for that interference, um, aiding or or, or in, in, in inducing uh, those sort of charges are are more related to the more lengthy and comprehensive investigative process. Sure. So, so we don't do that in our program. But we will, you know, uh, we'll take care of business. If people get sure. in our way and they interfere with us, we'll, we, we have the ability to, to deal with that situation. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Your enforcement and removal. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to protect your agents. And, and if they're, they're messed with physically, you've got to take care of business. You're, you're saying the, you know, governments um, that are literally trying to, um, de- you know, shield them and say, hey, here's how you evade detection. That's more, you know, HSI's end, and um, that because it, it certainly needs to be enforced. It's not a, it's not a recommendation. It's not, oh, well, it would be nice if they could work with you, um, right? So, yeah, I mean, certain things they don't have to let you know actively help. It's stupid not to for public safety, but then to to mm-hmm. downright induce in that way, I mean, that that's a big problem, um, right? Mm-hmm. That that that's very serious stuff. So. Um, just, just moving on, uh, I was just speaking at the top of the hour about this case in Iowa, outside your you know, personal jurisdiction, where this illegal alien allegedly murdered a mother and two daughters Tuesday night in Des Moines, Iowa. He was twice deported before, and I saw that he had multiple encounters with law enforcement with... Uh, traffic incidents, and then in May was caught uh, reckless driving and driving without a license and without insurance. I don't understand. And, and and then literally he was in the state court a night before the murder. It was Monday night, paying the fine. How someone could cycle in and out of law enforcement, uh, out of uh, law enforcement, out of the criminal justice system, and your agency doesn't know. That he's here, 
Um, again, you cannot shield from detection. Um, we're supposed to know they're here. Why is it when and when would you and when would you not know about an arrest? Well, that that's a that's a complicated uh, question to to answer. Uh, the best way I guess I can characterize it is there are layers of communication uh, within the states and between and among the states and the federal government, uh, and, it, and it depends on you know the you know the the, the circumstances. Uh, sometimes they're you know the local law enforcement do what we call a site and release, uh, where you know somebody if it's a if it's a traffic violation or, or something like that. Uh, the person um, may never actually be physically arrested and taken to a jail, booked in, fingerprinted, and sure. the fingerprint sent through uh, through the uh, through the system. So it's 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 a very common occurrence, uh, particularly for these sort of things like gra- uh, traffic uh, offenses. That uh, the you know the the police are busy; they have their uh, enforcement priorities and. They will do their processing, but they will otherwise let the person go, and so they may have a, a long history of, of track of traffic uh, offenses, um, and and never, you know, uh, be run through the system that would get our attention. Well, what about if they're booked and, and they have fingerprints? Do you automatically get pinged with that? Well, only if there's an existing um, immigration record that those fingerprints are going to bounce off of. But but wouldn't you get a no match? Let's say it's a first timer. I know we talked about this a little bit last time. It's a first timer, unlike in this case, you know, not previously deported. You never got him before. But do you, what I'm saying is, do you get pinged to keep track of every arrest in your area of operation? Um, well, yeah. If, if if we we if we want to talk about like the old days uh, from a few years ago when all of my officers pretty much. Um, were working the jails. And, and again, this is it, how it used to be is, as recently as, say, 2014, uh, is um, almost 90% of, uh, of my officers were working in the jails, uh, identifying uh, criminal aliens and, and placing them in the, into uh, immigration removal proceedings and uh, then taking custody of them from, from the locals there uh, at the jail. And because we had an actual physical presence at the jails, uh, not only were we, you know, becoming aware of people being fingerprinted and running through, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the criminal uh, information network, uh, but we also just saw who was being booked in uh, because we were there and, and we had the, uh, the booking uh, records. And so, you know, we would uh, pretty much talk to anybody uh, in the jail that, um, you know, was, that was uh, that were encountered. Uh, and were willing to to you know talk to us, and and understand too that um, oftentimes as as people that get arrested do, they're not being truthful about who they are, uh, their names, yeah. dates of birth, places of birth, and the rest of that. Um, they can certainly and 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 frequently do lie, and so an individual might get arrested that uh, uh, you know um, can can tell the police that his name is. John Smith, born in Florida, and what have you, um, and he'll be booked in under that name, and his fingerprints will be run through the systems. And if he doesn't have a prior criminal history, and all my officers are doing are looking at a computer terminal when that pops up, they're not going to have any indication yep. at all that this guy is not John Smith uh, uh, American. But when they're yep. at the jail. They're talking to this guy, and they're seeing this guy, and so we're very, very successful at identifying, you know, foreign nationals that have been arrested for crimes. But today, we've been totally kicked out of the jails in in the states of Washington and Oregon, so we don't have access to these individuals at all. And and so the best we can do, and and again, it's it's limited. the the only uh, the only hits we're really going to get. Uh, the, the the no matches, we we get them, but the logistics of really trying to pour through them uh, is 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 overwhelming. Uh, a large jail like King County can can <laughs> book in, you know, so many uh, so many people, um, and so the best we can do is kind of sift through those uh, and and do further research on the individuals to figure out if there's somebody of interest. 
And of course, even if they're still in the jail, um, we're not going to have any access to them to talk to them. And so unless there is an existing immigration record, wow. uh, we're, we're pretty much out of luck. So all the first timers, I mean, I mean, just so my audience understands, we talked about earlier this week that um, in Central California and L.A., the culmination of a MS-13 sting where they indicted 22 members of MS-13, 19 were Central Americans who recently came in and they were very young. And, right, and they, and they right. explained that there's a lot of violence, a lot fueling, you know, because they have to initiate right. in the gangs and they really have to show their moxie and almost like up the ante over each other. It, it's really a very dangerous situation where we're fueling from our border to our communities. So all these people, so if you don't have someone in jail, so, so let me get this straight. So you could be, you're no different than me. You know, I'm right. I'm in the dark, so I, I I try to do this. I look up okay the King County jail records. Okay, you'll see a name, mm-hmm. but and okay, this is a bad crime. Let me take a look at this. But so often, and the illegals know this, they give Mickey Mouse names. This was the case. Right. So in this Iowa case, ICE in the Midwest uh, told me, and they put out to the media. This guy was there for years. Every interaction he had with government there, he had one name. And they were like, no, this is not his name. So it's almost a match made in heaven, but they make it in hell now where the the locals are the ones who get them. The feds are the ones who have usually their real identities. You could put it together, boom, ensure that that guy and most criminals are recidivists. All of his future crimes are avoided out of the country, but instead all of that is missed. Right, right. And, 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 and yeah, that's absolutely the case. And, and, you know, in this state, in you know, Washington and uh, uh, in, in Oregon, which are, you know, uh, particularly, um, you know, aggressive in their sanctuary policies, uh, they've really effectively uh, tried to block us from every uh, form of information that the state has control of. And so, like, uh, you know, the King County Jail uh, in, in some other jails, uh, many jails throughout the country, uh, there are public-facing uh, uh, pages that someone can go into and look at uh, who's been booked into the jail that day or, the, you know, within the last 24 hours or what have you. Uh, anybody can look those things up. And um, we used to have internal access to internal booking systems and other databases within the state. So we had additional added information that the uh, civilian uh, would not have. And of course, the state has turned all of that off. So the best access we have is the same access that you uh, or, or anybody else might have. And that's a very limited glimpse at who is in the actual jails. Um, we will know if they fingerprints match a, an immigration record, uh, so we'll know that they're in the jail, but then we don't have access to, to speak to the detainees, uh, and they're not going to tell us when they get released. So, again, the best we can do in certain cases wow. is use you know whatever information is available to any other person to get an approximate idea of when this person may be released from the jail. Um, and so... Uh, there, there's all sorts of uh, information, and I mean, we have our sources to to try to do our job. Sure. Um, but to the degree they can prevent us from having any information at all, uh, they will uh, they will do that. Wow. Um, I mean, and, and folks, this is 8 U.S.C. 1373, notwithstanding any other provision of federal, state, or local law, no person or agency may prohibit or in any way restrict okay. the federal, state, or local government entity from doing any of the following, and they talk about sending such information or requesting or receiving such information um, from from immigration, maintaining such information, exchanging such information. Um, I, yeah, I, I, that and, and again, 1324, that's that's, uh, you know, if you're saying that they're preventing you actively ensuring that you cannot get any criminal aliens, I mean, that really is hard to see how that's not, you know, shielding from detection. Um, and I don't understand why Congress and some of the political leaders at in the executive branch don't get more aggressive on that. Uh, you know, it's funny. States are pretty nebulous these days in this time in history relative to the 1700s. Yet somehow when it comes to this, which is the most foundational federal power, somehow they seem to have a green light. And um, what I what I thought was so dangerous about this, I wanted to get your comment on it. 
Epoch Times reported today from this private citizen that started his own organization to do what I what I have dreamt of doing. Um, in North Carolina, he called data. He he could only get it from thirty of a hundred counties. Thirty of a hundred counties in um, eighteen months over the last eighteen months, there were illegal aliens charged with one thousand one hundred seventy two child rape or sexual assaults in eighteen months, thirty counties. And I saw that, and I was thinking to myself, you know criminals are recidivists, particularly those types. How many of these guys so often cycled in and out of the system, and so much of this was avoidable? Do you see that a lot in your area of operation? Do you have any data or rough estimates to call you know, just how much of this you're seeing? Uh, no, no, I don't have any data for that. I can say that through my experience, I would agree that that's a... a a significant uh, problem, but we, we don't have the information. And of course, with the lack of uh, um, access to state uh, records as well, that makes it all the harder to quantify that. Wow. Again, folks, very, very interesting because we have, we're going to have a million people through the front door come this year. And then God knows how many hundreds of thousands who got away and came in uh, without Border Patrol ever even coming into contact with them. Um, those are really, you know, t- usually going to be the worst people, the one, the, what, what Border Patrol calls the runners, the gotaways. And if they're first timers, yeah, you guys are not going to know about that. I know you got to run in a minute. Um, real quick, are, are, are your agents, are you hearing complaints that I'm hearing from Border Patrol that? in schools, their children are being taunted, in their communities, they're having difficulty because of these, like, you know, concentration camp allegations? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, none of my folks have reported anything to, to that extreme, uh, although we do occasionally, uh, the officers are, are reporting being doxxed. Uh, their, you know, private information is being put out there on the Internet. Uh, a couple of folks have received uh, since this uh, uh, individual, the shooter in front of the Northwest Detention Center, uh, since uh, Saturday, um, a couple of people have have gotten um, what I would say were were uh, threatening uh, uh, postcards in in the mail, basically mimicking uh, his his language and uh, the language of the anarchists in the uh, in the area. So. So we're, we're, we're definitely getting the harassment, and, and certainly uh, we all have a heightened uh, uh, awareness of our surroundings and, and um, uh, being uh, old, you know, cautious, but, but it hasn't been uh, really personal to anybody, to, to my knowledge, yet. Okay, well that's that's good to know. Obviously, at the border, it's it's a lot more tense, and some of those border towns with with border patrol. Um, but we'll monitor that closely. Uh, real quick, just a couple of quick uh, things. Obviously, you know, there's no reason you should need a criminal warrant to get an illegal alien. Uh, it's 130 years of Supreme Court case law. Uh, if you're not trying to criminally prosecute them just to remove them from the country, they don't belong here. They don't have a right to be here. They don't even have a right to due process, really, even though we give it to them um, in terms of militating against the deportation. Uh, it's, it's an extension of sovereignty. I mean, every country has that right. But the excuse the sanctuaries are giving is that you just show us an administrative warrant, show us a criminal warrant. I, I certainly don't want to agree to their premise, but could you explain to our audience, if you try to indulge their game and say, look, all right, let's get them to cooperate, I'll get a criminal warrant, would that really, is that just not realistic, and would that really hamper your operation to do that? Well, certainly, it's totally un- unrealistic, and it's not the intent of, of uh, Congress in, in you sure. know, promulgating our immigration laws. It's a it is an administrative process under the executive branch, and that has been the intent uh, from from the beginning of, of uh, having immigration laws in this country. Yep. Um, just the, you know, a lot is made of the, right now, uh, there, there's the argument about whether it should be a crime uh, to cross the border uh, without inspection. It is a crime right now. Yep. Uh, some folks want to, to decriminalize that. Um, but that's primarily what most people think about when they, they think of an immigration crime. Uh, another immigration crime is to the work. re-entry, right? Yes, working People here. People forget about and, that. And 
too well that that is true. I, I mean, y- um, your states there, they say they want to give them driver's licenses so they can go to work. Not only is that right. against federal law, that's against a foundational federal law. And I call it foundational because that was there was a lot of democratic processes behind that. That was the negotiation for giving the 1986 amnesty. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you and, off there. Yeah, 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 no, but but in 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 that context, uh, the, the you know re-entering the United States after deportation is also a crime. Um, but they make a lot of noise about people that come to the United States legally and then uh, overstay their you know their their visas, their entries, uh, in 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 other ways, falling out of status to say, well, that's not a crime. That is uh, that's only administrative, but. And, and that is a, a significant number of, of the, uh, you know, the, the, the cases that we're talking about. So in, in a very large percentage of, excuse me, immigration cases uh, where, you know, individuals are saying, oh, well, they, they need to get a criminal warrant uh, to do that. It's just not possible to get a criminal warrant because there isn't a crime uh, that has been uh, committed. And so sure. we couldn't get one, even if we wanted to. And if they, you know, decided to make these uh, uh, this unlawful presence a crime, then the numbers would be far beyond uh, the capacity of the federal judicial system to to produce these warrants. So it's absolutely uh, unreasonable to to you know uh, try to make that expectation that we're able to do that. And again, it isn't uh, it isn't necessary, and that you know that's part of the problem, uh, and and it's a, a factor that you know uh, obstructs us in, ju- in in doing our work, is um, you know the the um, practice of of uh, public individuals characterizing ICE arrests, warrants, and, and authorities as as civil or administrative. Uh, it, it makes my officers work more difficult and dangerous uh, because it does encourage the the thought of the public, you know, wrongly uh, that our officers are not quote real law enforcement. Exactly. Which, which of course, which of course they are, uh, and it encourages people to believe that uh, that they, you know, that the officers can be ignored and interfered with with impunity, and, and that definitely creates a, a hazard for my officers. And, and we have absolutely seen a significant escalation over the last several years of, of people, you know, actively uh, and, and aggressively uh, harassing and, and harrying and, and, and yeah. my officers um, not complying with them. And uh, it, it creates a dangerous system, you know, system, uh, situation for everybody involved. And, and of course, if, if it comes down to, uh, you know, somebody being physically ob- obstructive, well, then they are, in fact, going to get arrested because that is a crime. Um, and, and the administrative nature of, of immigration proceedings is is and trying to characterize it as that uh, to in some way say that it's, well, you know, that it's not that important because it isn't criminal. Um, is, uh, is is a mischaracterization. Ultimately. You know, uh, the largest percentage of, of court actions in, in the federal system in the United States are, are civil actions, uh, you know, uh, yep. whether it's bankruptcy court or, or yep. tax law and, and the rest. Seventy five percent approximately of all federal court cases are, are civil and administrative. And those decisions have a profound effect on commerce and, and people's everyday lives. So so yep. to sort of try to diminish the importance of what administrative and civil law is, is, is uh, you know, is a disservice to, to everybody. But in, in many ways, I think you guys are more important than regular police or law enforcement because most of these people that go on to commit worse crimes, they start off with the lesser ones. And with Americans, you know, we got, in my view, a pretty weak system in and out. Many of them don't serve much time and they're out to commit more crime. Here, you have the ability to preempt 
such a career mm-hmm. of criminality. And while not everyone who comes here illegally is necessarily a, a, a real problematic person, a heck of a lot of them are. A heck of a right. lot of them are, and we're seeing that. I mean, the gangs, the amount of young males from Central America, not all of them are a problem, but a lot of them, the drug trafficking, the drunk driving, um, the sexual assaults on minors, these are very pervasive problems. And... Um, you guys have the ultimate broken windows theory because you don't have to wait for the cumbersome process of landing a conviction to take them off the streets. You could do it while you're here illegally and you don't have a right to be here. The Supreme Court said in Lemon Sun, you know, 1895, and this is still good law as to such persons, meaning these non citizens trying to remain in the U.S. The decisions of executive or administrative officers acting within their powers expressly conferred by Congress are due process that is right. um, it, it is that simple um, one more question before I let you go I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this everyone's asking me um, if you can't answer just decline uh, you know they're all talking about this operation to dissuade um, those rushing the border now to say look you know don't think that you could just game out the system be released and the law won't catch up to you it will and now we're going to go after those particularly from Central America with final orders there was a lot of hype behind it it was leaked delayed then they said they were going to do it again the media is bragging now that it's it's a fizzle and, and it didn't happen do you have any insight into that that you could talk about uh, no, no, I can't. I really can't talk to that. Okay, yeah, and that's and it's probably yeah, pro- probably better that way. Um, so instead, I'm just going to pivot to one other final thing, and this will be the final thing. Uh, you had issues, you know. They think of everything here in um, King County, saying that your air ops, because uh, you got to get them out of the country, so you need airplanes to move them out. That they they gave you problems flying them out of King County, so you moved to Yakima County. Um, are is that taken care of? Um, are they cooperating? Uh, that's number one. Number two, are there any possibilities of you using um, McCord AFB, you know, near Pierce County, the Air Force Base there? Um, well, we're you know we're exploring you know a variety of different uh, options right now, including um, you know what uh, action we are, and this is obviously. Uh, you know, some of these things take uh, a while to develop and come into play. Uh, But, um, you know, we're still working on what our uh, legal posture uh, is with uh, the King County action uh, with, uh, you know, uh, the King County airfield. Um, And and we're looking at all the, you know, the airfields in the area. And and so I can't, uh, you know, discuss what uh, arrangements we have. Uh, But, yeah, we've looked at all of those. Um, I, as to Yakima, uh, we've, we've always, uh, we've, we've been, uh, uh, really pleased with, um, sure. being able to fly out of there. It's not ideal coming into the winter when, when we do. And so we want to get back to the, uh, the King County airfield, but in the, in the meantime, um, you know, things are, are working in Yakima. They did, however, uh, the day before yesterday have the city council, uh, uh, vote, on uh, adopting a policy similar to uh, King County, uh, and that was narrowly shot down, shot by, down yeah. a vote, by, by a vote of three to four. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a contentious issue, even in relatively uh, conservative uh, Yakima. But wow. uh, uh, so, far, so far, we're still uh, flying out of uh, their airfield. Well, the polling shows the silent majority Poll after poll is in one way, but those with the the megaphone and the power seem to be another way, and I think that's what we're seeing here. I only asked about the Air Force Base just because, um, you know, I know it's definitely an issue at the border where there just aren't enough commercial flights, and you just don't have the ability to even get out the people that you can without the lawfare, even the ones that are detained. And I was just, and this might be more for a political leadership question. I don't know if this is something you could speak to. I was just wondering if there's any idea to to use, you know, the Air Force. Um, uh, no, we we've got uh, we have our aircraft. I, I don't uh, we 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 don't need aircraft from from other parts of the uh, mm-hmm. federal government. It's really just the actual airport uh, facilities themselves. Got it. The location. Okay. I, I, so I think it might be more of a border problem where the numbers are just really swelling at McAllen and places like that, um, as opposed to right. interior. 
Um, thanks so much for giving us this briefing. Come back anytime and stay safe. <laughs> okay, yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Brian Wilcox, Acting Field Director of the Seattle ICE Office. And yeah, there's a lot to digest here. Um, I'm certainly thankful to him for spending so much time with us. I know he's in a very rough position politically and otherwise. Um, a lot to digest. Certainly, you know, he seemed to be saying that Portland, Oregon, it's not just that they're shielding illegal aliens, which in itself is a federal crime. Even when Antifa gets violent against them, they're on their own, which they take care of it on the, their own. But uh, um, local law enforcement is told to stand down. I mean, I think that's been self-evident from watching the just, you know, all Antifa rallies there. And that's that's very concerning. That is very concerning. Um, why there's no congressional hearings on that, I don't know. But anyway, there's a lot here. There's Iran. Iran has become the Barbary Pirates of the Persian Gulf. They've seized more vessels, captured crews. I mean, again, this is where we need a military, our border and shipping lanes. And those are the two areas where we don't won't use the military. So there's so much more going on. We'll update you tomorrow on the budget bill, many more things. Maybe we'll get to Iran. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.